Hi everyone, you're listening to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Koo, and this is the show where I interview investors to find out how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. Enjoy the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Koo, and this is the show where I interview investors and discuss how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. Before we hop into today's show, I want to remind you of today's sponsor. This show is brought to you by PassiveInvesting.com. PassiveInvesting.com is a private equity real estate investment firm focused on institutional quality, multifamily, and self-storage assets in the hottest markets in the United States. PassiveInvesting.com partners with their investors to provide opportunities to build wealth together by delivering consistent monthly cash flow, capital appreciation, and strong tax benefits. They currently have 1,700 plus passive investors with a 65% repeat investor rate. If you're interested in learning more, head over to PassiveInvesting.com or click the link in the show notes. You can get more information on investment opportunities, educational webinars, or insightful articles. Reach out and see how they can help you build wealth through real estate and enjoy the show. Now for today's guest. He is a man of many talents. He got he got started in the real estate industry at a young age, at 17 years old, cold calling people to pitch loans, purchased his first single family residence in his early 20s, and started his first real estate investment company, Kaizen Capital, years later. Currently has 40 plus units across 16 properties in California and one in Vegas. He was the MC for Missing Tao in 2019. He's an actor, model, even a hand model too, and now recently married. Please give a warm welcome to Nanlet. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thanks yeah. for having me on the show, Taylor. Yeah, of course. It's a pleasure having you. And you know, I've been meaning to ask too. So I know that you were living uh, in San Francisco and LA, and you traveled to Sacramento every now and then. That time that I met you in the gym, were you? Did I just happen to catch you at the at the right time? Were you just visiting Sacramento, or were you there for a long period of time? Okay, so. My schedule generally, I bounce back between LA and uh, Sacramento. Oh, okay. Most of the time, so every single week, I'm in Sacramento about two days a week. Two days a week, right? Uh, however, that day, I don't go to that gym all the time, but that is one of the gyms that I prefer. It's nicer ones, you know, in downtown Sacramento. Was, yeah, it was pretty random, man. He's <laughs> like, "Are you a man?" <laughs> <laughs> it, it was really random for me too because yeah. I normally go into the gym around like 6 a.m. But I was I just happened to drop off my girlfriend at the airport and I was it, it was it was an early flight and so I just came in afterwards. So nice. you know, it was it was just on a whim. But yeah, I'm excited to to get this going and get started. But yeah, I'd love to just know a little bit more how you got started in real estate, especially at such a young age. Yeah. Okay. So you know when I was younger, I was actually going, you know, going to school. I didn't like school a lot. I had really great, great, really good grades, but I just didn't quite like school. And uh, eventually, long story short, I got recruited to do cold calling for a mortgage company. And I said, oh, you know what? I got to you know, get better at talking to people anyways. And this seems like uh, something I could do to get my foot in the door. So let's go ahead and do that. Uh, eventually, I got good enough where I started pitch, pitching people loans, right? All that works back in you know, 2007, 2008. Bankers would show up pitch us their loan programs. We in turn pitch our you know, customers the loan programs. Now, at that age, I really didn't know what I was doing. You know, we're pitching loans like pick a payment, meaning that people can either pay interest only or interest in principal or negative am uh, negative amortization uh, options. I mean like they were just that's how I got started essentially. 
because I wanted to weigh in. And so once that happened, over time, there was a market crash and uh, we didn't have any more money to make. And at that point, I actually went back to school. Hmm. Okay. And, uh, you know, hated school still. Uh, that's <laughs> the only reason why I went back to school is because I had to beg my mom for money for rent. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, okay, like, and her condition was, hey, go back to school, right? So I went back to school. Shortly thereafter, I got recruited out of college again to do sales. And I'm like, all right, great. You know, anything, get me out of here. Mm-hmm. So started doing sales, uh, saved a bunch of money. And then early 20s, bought my first house as a way to shield uh, my capital. That was the initial like thought process. That's so how I kind of got into buying properties. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. And, you know, taking a look at your background too, I mean, I've, I've seen you do also like some commercials as well, and even some like some acting gigs, like were those, you know, how did you balance just the the two of like trying to get into real estate, but then also, you know, handling, you know, some of, I guess it seems like some of these other passions, unless you, I mean, you are just handsome and naturally handsome. So, I mean, it makes sense just to, <laughs> just to get those opportunities, but yeah. How was that balance like or in, in I mean, was the end goal always just real estate? Okay. So when I started real estate investing, right? When I started investing, at mm-hmm. first I wasn't, I don't consider that as investing. I was just trying to shield the money that I made to protect the money that I made. Real estate just made the most amount of sense where you buy something, you have equity in it, there's cash flow. So that was essentially what my goal was because I didn't really know too much about investing, right? I mean, the strategies that I know now, I mean, blow my mind <laughs> back then. So that's how I got involved. And over time, it just kept on evolving, right? As anybody that put in work into something that consistently revisits and reevaluates the work, there was just a natural progression with what I did. And, uh, you know, slowly, surely, more and more properties that start leveraging. And once I start leveraging, I start looking at different strategies. I start buying multifamily, right? I went from single family homes to multifamily and I mm-hmm. increased the rents. My first big check was 200 grand, uh, $200,000 on a property. The only thing I did was I increased the rent of a fourplex from $600 per unit to $1,000 per unit. And I sold that same fourplex that I, I bought for $200,000. I put in $40,000 renovation and I sold it for like four hundred twenty-five dollars or something like that. Boom, pulled my money out. And I'm like, did I just make $200,000 off of one transaction? Right? <laughs> and I'm like, how do I duplicate that with more property? So I start transitioning all my single family homes into multifamily. And ever since then, I just mostly been focusing on multifamily. And so for some of my hobbies, okay, I consider like acting, all these things, they're my hobbies. Those are things that I always wanted to do that I didn't have an opportunity to do. And I'm glad that I actually picked it up. Picked it up later on in my life, my late twenties. Uh, I picked it up and I started, you know, modeling, you know, doing stuff like that. Uh, it's more so like a passion project than anything else, because you know, in my mind, I lived through you know so much, you know, ups and downs. In my mind, it's nothing to lose. There's only everything to gain. Uh, at the same time, Asian representations really lacking in the industry. So I just wanted to be that person that can contribute to the Asian population any way I could. And, you know, if I could be a model and help us be a strong voice, so be it. You know, if there are things that you could do and the only outcome are benefits and little to no downside, why wouldn't you do anything, do something like that, right? So that's essentially my approach to kind of picking things up and, you know, modeling and (laughs) acting is really (laughs) difficult. More difficult than most people think, 
but there's a lot of benefits to it. And, you know, I love what I do. So. Yeah, no. And, and I love, you know, the, just the, it's inspiring that you are out there and, and, you know, for Asian representation, because, you know, I do think that we are a little bit more mis- misrepresented in, in the entertainment industry. So it's definitely something that I, that I do look up to. And then also even transitioning from single family to multifamily, I feel like a lot of people that are investing in single family, they get, they can get a little bit scared on, on making the jump. Did you have any obstacles when you made that jump into multifamily or any uh, hesitations? Uh, what were some of the challenges there? Challenges and hesitations? Okay, so when I first got into re- start buying properties, again, my initial goal is to protect my capital. Mm-hmm. And with a little bit of cash flow, I'm like, fantastic. This is great, right? And jumping to multifamily, it only made sense because I said, hey, I can buy four units for dirt, you know, relatively like dirt cheap and have great cash flow. Like, why would anybody want to do that? So it was more so just natural transition than like this crazy junk, right? Because you know, you buy single family homes, you just the cash flow is really okay. This is my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are you know are willing to have a great discussion with someone that is open minded and uh Lot that have a logic approach to it. Yeah. But single family just aren't that great investments. They're just not. Okay. You can argue with me all day about it, but at the end of the day, you know, multifamily have cash flow. You know, you kind of spread across your risk of multiple like multiple units. units. I know this, like you're able to increase the NOI and force the value increase. There's just so many things that you can do that is outside of what the single family approach. The single family, that's kind of risky to me. You know, if your tenant is numb for me, you're just in that hole versus multifamily, you know, you have four units or three units or two or whatever it is. One unit doesn't perform. You have the other unit to kind of cover your losses or at least make sure you don't go too negative. And, uh, you know, it was a more natural transition than anything else. Right. Got it. Got it. And, you know, with, you know, as you started to have this natural progression and then even going into, you know, larger acquisitions past the, past the quads. I also noticed on your Instagram that you also have experience in owning uh, properties with a high cap rate, right? In, in low income neighborhoods. And so I, I wanted to dive into that experience too, because I feel like, you know, when investors are getting started in multifamily, they're like, oh, you know, high cap rate must be a great deal, must cash flow like crazy. And, and I feel like that also, it could be a, a wrong assumption as well and could get a little bit dangerous especially from, from what I've seen on, on your Instagram. You see all the great videos of uh, tenants not paying rent, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I do, so, I do. True story. During that height of pandemic, at one point, uh, before all the government assistance kicked in, mm-hmm. in total, tenants owed me about $140,000. Wow. Okay, so that's not, I mean, it's not a small number, but to us, it's like, it's a manageable number for us. For people that are getting to properties, high cap rate, low income neighborhoods, be careful. Just be careful, all right? Because it looks very pretty and is priced right for a reason. However, if you have the ability to kind of handle and know, and you have the know-how of handling these tenants, there's a lot of opportunity as well. You know, so my first big check, that 200K, the fourplex is in a low income neighborhood. My second, or not second, but the... Another deal that was pretty successful was that I bought an Aplex. Okay, the Aplex cost me five hundred thousand dollars. The rents on these Aplex were about like six hundred forty, six hundred fifty dollars per unit. 
I in turn increased the rent from 640, 650 to anywhere between 900 to $1,100 per unit. And I sold that same, or I sold that Aplex I bought for 500 for $840,000. And I used all of the income from the Aplex to rehab units to do the turnovers as tenants left. And that's why I you know, made that chunk of money. But everybody and their mom was warning me against it. They were like, don't buy it. Oh my God, horrible <laughs> condition, blah, blah, blah. And you know what? That property did look very scary. I did a side visit. I'm like, man, I'm, get, I'm going to get shot here, right? <laughs> and same property. There was like a drug dealer rammed his car into the building. At one time, we had a drug addicts that kept on breaking into the laundry unit to do drugs and sleep in there. I mean, it was all kinds of problems, all kinds of problems. But at the end of the day, you know, to make a couple hundred thousand, a few hundred thousand dollars on that deal, like thinking back to get paid that much money to deal with those problems, would I do it again? That's going to be my next question. I would. Okay. If I'm not making enough money now, I would do that again. But because I've gone through that, we're transitioning out of that. Uh, We have better opportunities now. We have more options now. I wouldn't necessarily do that at this time of my life. But if I'm just getting started, cash straps, looking for a big opportunity, those are the type of units I'll go after. You just have to be a very hands-on operator. And you have to be resourceful, You know, looking at options at any given time and kind of pulling the trigger and figuring out ways to mitigate problems and look for solutions. But at the end of the day, you know, this is what I do, okay? I buy multifamily increase rents, increase NOI, sell it to the next set of investors. It's really simple. Mm-hmm. But that strategy just works so well, right? And it's only the opportunity is present with multifamily, not necessarily with single family. Now for the the end investor, are, are these investors mostly looking for a little bit more of a, a stabilized property? Or do you still leave a little bit of meat on the bone for them to do their own value add project so then they can pet, you know, stabilize it themselves and then pass on to the next investor? Well, I do leave meat on the bones. Okay, so for example, the fourplex I sold for four hundred and twenty-five, four hundred forty thousand, whatever that bought for two hundred forty thousand. Mm-hmm. I instructed the buyer to add a bedroom to one of the units. Uh, I think the buyer did that. A year later, he sold it for five hundred and fifty thousand that he bought for four hundred forty. Yeah, nice. So, but a lot of these investors, what they do is they want to stabilize investment property. Those are like more passive investors, right? So if you want to be more passive, getting to something more stabilized, then you're probably paying the, the prices towards a premium. But uh, if you're an investor who's looking to make big bucks and making you know large paychecks, you're going to have to be more hands-on and just be operationally heavy, right? So that's just what it is. Got it. And you know, now that you mentioned like you were also a past, because I listened to one of the other podcasts that, that you were on and you mentioned that you had a pretty extensive experience in passive investing as well. Were you passively investing in real estate too? And like in, in different partnerships, was it in a syndication or uh, what other assets were you passively investing in? So from the day that I bought my first property until I sold that fourplex, I consider myself as a passive investor. Mm, okay. Got it. And, you know, I'm putting money in the property. It's kind of like cash flowing. I'm doing what I can to, you know, increase rent whenever the opportunity presents itself. Right. I'm just like not doing a lot of work, right? But once that fourplex was sold, I made that 200 grand. I'm like, okay, I need to put more time into it. So that passiveness began to fade. Got it. Being closer to my late 20s. So when all this stuff happened, I had to kind of go through a period 
that really need to make some serious life decisions on which direction I was going to go. And at one point, I even considered being, you know, in the law enforcement because, you know, I just have a per- like protective personality. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if I'm in law enforcement, I can do that part or I, I can do that full time. I still can invest in real estate, you know, and do everything else in life. And kind of at that fork, you know, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in uh, God to put a term to it, but I do believe in higher power. I say, hey, man, I need some type of sign. Mm-hmm. Or somebody, please show me something. Uh-huh. That's when the guy that kicked my Audi. I don't know if you ever seen that video. Yeah, I saw that video. <laughs> kicked my Audi. You know, we get in a confrontation. That basically ended my law enforcement uh, career before it got started mm-hmm. because I was going through all of the interviews and I was passing them with flying colors, like physical, uh, just all the written exam. I was killing them. And then, however, when that happened, they were just like, dude, just just pull out of your, uh, you know, pull out of this process because based on that, we're not going to approve you. And I'm like, all right. So now I have one option left to really go full-time into investments and to expand on my experience so that I can become a very serious income. And essentially that's what happened. Wow. So that was really the catalyst. And, and for, for those that don't know, for my audience that hasn't seen the video, can you dive into just at least, I mean, if you're okay sharing and talking about it, yeah. you know, um, you know, cause I mean, my listeners probably just like, oh, he, someone kicked his Audi, and then the yeah. next thing, you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you can dive into what to what happened, just to give yeah. my audience a little well, insight. I I was giving it a ride to a good friend of mine, and uh, that's I was giving it a ride because we just modified the exhaust on my car. I had a Audi R8 V10 that is supercharged, so it's at like 800 horsepower. All right, oh, that's sweet. Bad. But the exhaust is very loud and it sounded very good. And I'm like, hey, let's go for a ride. I'll show you around. So we're in downtown San Mateo. I guess, you know, I was revving an engine. I wasn't supposed to do that. I did that. People do it all the time. I was one of those guys that day. Okay. Rev my <laughs> engine going down the street. And uh, I noticed this guy on the side of me is like cussing me out, flipping me off. Right. And I turned and I looked at him and I noticed that he has a family there. So I'm like, I must have scared his family. That's why he's, you know, going off on me. Mm. And I can't accept that because I can't realize my wrong. Right. I'm like, I probably did that, pissed off his family, you know, scared his family. This guy's pissed off. I understand where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as we progressed forward, you know, I didn't pay much attention to him at that time. And then, you know, we kept on proceeding forward. But during that time, someone said I was very busy. And I was stopped at an intersection waiting to make a left turn. So light turns green, I'm making a left turn. And there's a lot of people in the crosswalk. So they're walking, you know, crossing the crosswalk. And I happen to be now making a left turn parked in front of the crosswalk waiting for people to cross. And the guy that's been yelling at me stops in front of my car now and is directly pointing at me, talking all kinds of smack. And part of it was talking about like Asians, something he's like, is that your boyfriend? I'm like, you know, because it's a supercar. All you can see is my face. Right. And a male passenger is saying like, hey, is that your boyfriend? You know, like calling uh, all kinds of stuff. I'm like, dude, keep on walking. I'm like, keep on walking before, you know, something happens. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's talking so much. But anyways, at the end of it, he continued to walk. When he walked past my car, I, you know, I just drove forward, right? And as, did, as I drove forward more aggressively, I would say drove forward more aggressively, he kind of just back kicks my car. Who? And, you know, this is like back then, this is, a, you know, 180K car with modifications, like close to 200,000. And in my mind, I'm like, did this guy just kick? So I stopped the car in the middle of the street. And I'm like, no, I have to go talk to him. So I pull my car uh, towards the curb. I get out the vehicle and, you know, I walk up to the guy to have a conversation with him. And then at that point, he extends his hand. In my mind, I'm like, all right, he's been, you know, 
hand is extending, I'm going to hit this guy in the face. Right. So essentially that's what, you know, led on to the rest of the altercation. Got it. Got it. Well, it, it's crazy that, you know, it was, that was sort of like, it's the, the catalyst. Cause I guess if that didn't happen, you could have definitely still been a police officer and might not even have gone through this, the rest of this journey through, you know, as a real estate investor. I think if that didn't happen, I could have been very well been a peace officer of some sorts. Hmm. And uh, also at the same time, I think I'll still be investing, but not as aggressively. Hmm. I'll say now, you know, since that, and, you know, even before that, since the passiveness started in the fade, I'm getting more into real estate investments. Right. Year on year, the growth has been insane. You know, most people will say, hey, what is your, you know, your five-year goal? What is your, you know, next year goal? Or what are the list of the things that you're trying to do? Like, I just have a very simple one. I double my net worth every single year. That is the one goal full-heartedly focused on at all times. It's very easy to do in the very beginning because you don't have that much assets. <laughs> uh, but as you grow and progress, you have more and more net worth. That goal becomes harder and harder. So that creates more uh, you know, creativity, more dedication, so on and so forth. And, and so now, now into you know, talking about our goals and talking about the future and you know, what you're currently focusing on. Yeah, some people stay away. A lot of actually, a lot of investors that I've talked to, and you know, even though I live in California, majority of my network has actually been outside of California, and they're afraid to invest in California. And so, in your opinion, I'd love to just hear your thoughts of why you do invest in California, specifically Sacramento. Then, okay, everybody that invests outside of the states, I don't blame them. Perhaps they just don't have all the tools that I have to invest in California. Mm-hmm. Okay. And investing in California is great. I wouldn't like I actively looked at investments outside of Sacramento, outside of California. I visited cities, I've gone trips just to look at real estate. And uh, this is what it pans out to. Okay. A couple of things. Number one, price of real estate versus the rent. Okay. California, especially Sacramento, it is so well balanced. Okay. So well balanced. The capacity for properties to appreciate. California, killing it. Okay. Everywhere else, we don't know. Other states that may have crazy amount of cash flow, but may have doesn't have the opportunity for the property to appreciate as much. Now, when you force the appreciation on a property, you're able to make a lot of money versus, you know, even if you can get 10, 20% cash on cash return from rents, that's nothing compared to when you force the appreciation, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a couple of things. So when I look at properties in California and Sacramento specifically, or when I look at properties, a couple of things. Number one, it has to be positive in cash flow, anywhere between 8 to 12%. Number two, it has to be in an appreciating market. Uh, historically speaking, at any 10-year span, that appreciation cannot dip below 5%. Okay. And there needs to be, thirdly, there needs to be something that I could do to force the value to increase right away. Value add opportunity. All right. And uh, with those three in mind for new investors, number one, cash flow should be the first thing you look at for anybody new. Appreciation should be a given. Uh, you buy in a market that just constantly appreciate. Right. And in Sacra- Sacramento, here's the thing, right? You go to LA, you go to San Francisco, you talk to people, you're like, hey, Sacramento, they might frown upon that. You're like, whoa, Sacramento, it's like in the middle of nowhere. Well, here's the thing though. Sacramento is the capital of California, okay? San Francisco Bay Area, that is the tech capital. Most of the money go flowing into the Bay Area comes from tech. LA, most of the money going to LA comes from entertainment. Sacramento, it is the capital of them both. And California is, has the highest GDP, it is the most stable state 
if any state can survive anything, it'll be California. All right. And so investing in Sacramento is just a very safe play for me. It doesn't take, you know, it's not a lot of risk. There's not crazy amount of upside, but with the right tools, you can force the appreciation like crazy and realize a lot of upside. Okay. And my network is here too. So something yeah. that will take me, maybe that'll cost me $100,000 to do elsewhere. It may only cost me fifty dollars to $60,000 to do here. Are mm. majority your family and then also your wife here as well in Sacramento or Los Angeles, or I'm assuming just in California, uh, please? <laughs> wife and I most, mostly live in LA. Got so it. wife lives in LA, uh, will commute back and forth between LA and Bay Area for work. We fly back and forth. Me, I like LA because there's just a lot of money there. Mm-hmm. It's also entertainment capital, right? So I have to uh, force feed my passions and uh, your hobbies, <laughs> my hobby projects. It's, right? It's not a bad hobby, right? Not a bad hobby at all. <laughs> like you know, you are at the gym. Uh, you look like a decently you know built guy, and you got to have these hobbies that contribute to your life, right? So working out, going to the gym—that's a hobby for your health. For me, you know. Being an entertainment business, that's a hobby that makes me happy, uh, makes me some money, and has a lot of upside. Right, so I like those type of hobbies. Yeah. Well, and, and what's funny is I actually was trying to be a professional dancer because I, I lived in LA when. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, for about yeah. five years, okay. and uh, I was able to get on Jimmy Kimmel Live, and I ended up getting uh, crushed because the choreographer ended up not paying me, and so that was like my catalyst to starting my own journey and like controlling my finances. And then that was the inspiration behind, you know, this podcast. Was well, fortunate for you to, for that to have happened to you. I know, I know. It was super sad at the time. And, you know, my dreams of being a professional dancer just kind of went kaplunk, but yeah. definitely grateful just for that to happen. But yeah, no, it's a similar hobbies, entertainment industry. It's, 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 yeah. it's, it's a cool place. But one thing I did want to touch on, because uh, you kept mentioning, you mentioned the tools uh, now, now going back into real estate, the tools and what you were looking for when you are value uh, doing a value add uh, for some of your criteria. What, uh, if you can dive into it a little bit more about what I guess, like makes the, makes the button hot. Okay. So multifamily is an extremely good tool to build wealth. Whenever you start investing or you're a seasoned investor, multifamily is great, right? Right. However, the operation on the operation side is pretty operational, like demanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, we have in-house property management. Most people don't have that, right? They have to outsource property management, and depending on how good their property managers are, will largely affect their bottom line. So, I have in-house property management. I have direct control over what I want to do. Uh, I have a fleet of attorneys that, in case people could even try anything funny with me, like right. I'm them play with you. You know, like <laughs> anytime you try something funny, you I will. This is how I look at it. Lawsuits are basically like teachers for kindergartners. <laughs> Whenever there's a dispute, you call the teacher. The teacher will come by and kind of mitigate and solve the problem. Right. right. Uh, you'd be surprised at how much these adults don't know how to act. Okay, you will be shocked at the amount of people I deal with and just how ridiculous these people are. So instead of getting too emotionally involved, I don't want to deal with that anymore. I'm like, you want to like try something funny? Here, go talk to my attorney. Right. So that's where I'm currently at. So I have in-house property management, fleet of attorneys. You're talking about like uh, contractors, handymans, project managers. I just have you know everything kind of established. 
But that all took a very long time. Okay, don't get it twisted. I've been in the industry for uh, 17 years now. I was doing the math, like 17, 18 years wow. now. And, uh, you know, you're aggressively being an investor for five, six, seven years. I don't know how long now, right? So it's taking me some time to build up my repertoire, the set of tools I have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, for anybody that want to invest, is it worth it? 100%. I wouldn't trade this for lifestyle with anything else. You know, I go wherever I want to, whenever I want to, without t- thinking too much about it anymore. You know, anytime. Now it's more so like whenever my wife is available, we'll go somewhere, right? Because she works for a tech company and her availability is kind of limited. And, you know, the freedom that is obtained from real estate just that because because this is something that I'm all, I'm going through with my own personal relationship is is trying to also educate my girlfriend about just like real estate investing and you know I've had some guests on on my podcast where it was a little bit difficult to get you know the spouse on the side to understand like where the financial freedom and then also just retirement planning in general is coming from did you have any obstacles of and also I guess any tips for any of those married married couples and or people in relationships that are trying to do that? Okay. Everybody's different. You got to understand that, right? Some people excel in English, history, math, whatever it is. People that excel in mathematics and they have, you know, very logical in their reasoning, it's very easy for them to understand real estate. But if they're more like arts driven, you know, like into like music or literature, I find those people are like harder for them to grasp, like what real estate is all about. Here's a cool trick though. Just show them the check. I'm telling you, <laughs> show them a check. You show them like a quarter million dollar check and like, what is that? How did you get it? What is that? How can I get a, be a part of it, right? Even now with my wife, you know, she's not really interested in real estate. She's not, she loves what she does. Uh, she's extremely good at what she does. And she trusts me to invest for her. Right now she's uh, partners in like four or five projects. She doesn't even know the nice. of the, yeah, she doesn't know like what objects I mean. I just updated, yeah. you know, we have a, Really good reporting system. So we send them reports every single week. And I, I you know, tell her, I'm like, hey, this project is mature. And you're making this much money off this project. So she's very happy about that. But you know, for people that's trying to convince the wife or their partner, you have to understand, what is your goal in doing that? Like for them to invest with you? Like what is your goal in like, trying to convince them for them to be on board with you investing? Mm-hmm. For them to allow you to invest? Like what, what is the goal then? So first I would say, find out, and identify what the goal is and then prepare a game plan to kind of accomplish that goal. Mm. Uh, but in the very beginning, I find it very easy to just, you know, run a project, finish a project, know what's going on yourself, show them the check. Even the check's not $100,000, even it's like $10,000, $30,000, as long as you can break down the process. Like, hey, this is what I did to make this much money. I didn't even spend too much money on it, too much time in this, and I still made a good amount of profit. Now, what if we can expand on this together or... You know, what if I can't expand on this to you just support me? Just really depends, right? Got it. And, and at the end of the day, all of it is really just like communicating with your partner and spouse and then, you know, making sure and then you can game plan together and, you know, figure, figure it out. But now, now since we're talking about game plan, I'd love to know the game plan for 2022. I mean, you're looking to double your net worth. What is the game plan there and what are you focusing on uh, moving into this year? I think the one thing that has led me to achieve the level of success that I have now, keep in mind, there's always people that are head and shoulders above what you're doing. There's people that are doing less 
than what you're doing. I think the key is to compare yourself to yourself and really just go after your potential. For me, you know, looking at the way that I've scaled is that I always visit and revisit what I'm doing. I will try to analyze. There's like 80-20 rule uh, that is extremely, extremely valuable. That means 80% of what you're doing is accomplishing, or excuse me, 80% of what you do is making 20% of your income. And 20% of what you're doing is making 80% of your income or produces 80% of your results. When I saw that or heard that, I'm like, whoa, let me let me figure out what that 20% is that I'm doing that is achieving 80% of my results, right? Mm-hmm. And just focus more on that 20%, uh, expanding on that so that my actions are just worth more over time, right? And I cut out the 80% or as much as I could, that's generating only 20% of my results. Uh, so this year, with all the laws and the changes and updates in California, I found that something that is extremely profitable is actually building and converting spaces into ADUs, mm. subdivisions, doing subdivisions, right? And of course, uh, a portion of what I'm doing now is also developments, but developments just take such a long time. It can be very profitable, but it takes really, really long time, mm. Okay. So for the ADUs though, man, we're in and out on some of these projects like six months and then we're making money. (laughs) Like you would not believe. I'll tell you one project that we're doing. There was one property uh, I bought for $240,000. I actually just launched a video on uh, YouTube. (laughs) We bought for $240,000. I think I spent 200K on the build out for the ADU. Right now, it's in contract for sale for six hundred thirty-five. Another project is maturing. Purchased for four hundred forty thousand. Did a refi around five hundred thousand. Pulled some money out. Uh, built an ADU or converted two-car garage into a two-bedroom, one-bath unit for I want to say like eighty thousand dollars. All right, and then right now that property that we purchased for four hundred forty thousand is in contract to be sold for seven hundred thirty-five. Wow. Okay. And then that didn't take that much work at all. You get a designer, yeah. design EDU, you get someone to build it. Uh, you're just kind of like managing the entire project, boom, in contract for sale, right? And then subdivision, this is cool too. Bought one for 435 or 440, I forgot what it was. Spent, I don't know, 30 to $50,000 on 30, $50,000 on random expenses, subdivision costs, permitting, whatever, right? And then we have holding costs because like Hennis wasn't paying rent, a bunch of other costs. But anyways, purchase 440. I think the hard cost for doing the subdivision was less than or around 50,000. We're in contract to sell each of those units, one for 435,000, the other one for 475,000. Yeah, so these are just like, I mean, when I'm looking at these numbers, I'm like, okay, got to do more of these because <laughs> it doesn't require that much time and commitments. Uh, you just need to manage the project efficiently, manage your costs efficiently. And the, I mean, the income is through the roof, right? So I'm focusing more on those projects in 2020, doing bigger projects as well. We're doing a bunch of builds. So I finally get to realize my dream of building container homes. Okay. I've been building uh-huh. this for like five years, on over five years. We tried with different projects, the vendors would, you know, like, Increase their price, just all sorts of weird stuff. Uh, but finally, this year we're actually permitting, I think, four buildings right now to be built out of containers. Mm-hmm. All right. 
No, I think we have one property with three buildings. We have another property with three buildings that we're starting a permitting process with. So we're pretty like, we're putting a good amount of time into this as well, because I truly believe that once we get this down, that's going to be another moneymaker because it's a cool structure. It's uh, very cost efficient. It's extremely strong. Once we get that down, I feel like it's going to be another branch of my company that's going to be very profitable. Wow. It, it sounds like 2022 is just going to be an extremely exciting year for you. And I can't wait to follow along on the journey, uh, you know, seeing it on Instagram and YouTube. And if anybody wants to reach out or get a hold of you and still follow that journey, how can they get a hold of you? I just follow my Instagram, YouTube at Nan Unlimited, right? I feel like an <laughs> unlimited amount of potential that needs to be unleashed. So oh, I love it. anything, right? That's why it's unlimited. And uh, yeah, just follow us on Instagram. And then the, one of the newer projects too is at House of Kai, right? We built a, or bought a property, completely renovated it, you know, putting good multiple six figures into renovating the property, built an Airbnb. And we're currently uh, observing how this Airbnb is doing. I just had a conference call a little bit earlier today. Uh, I think we're figuring out direction on where we want to go with these Airbnbs. And I think um, the direction is that we're going to try and brand it into a line of different Airbnbs uh, to kind of build them as like experiences of very unique properties in different city, major you know cities across America. And I think the next one we're looking at is going to be LA as well. That's going to be super exciting. I can't wait to follow along and also like learn about that too, you know, as you go through it. So thank you again, Nan, for, for hopping onto the show. Everybody, thank you for listening and stay tuned for Friday because that's when we're going into our action items episode uh, where we can talk about how you can get started in real estate. So thank you again, Nan. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks everyone. Thank you, Taylor. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you got any value out of the show, I'd greatly appreciate if you leave a rating and review on iTunes to help others receive that same value. If you're looking to learn more on how to passively invest in apartment buildings or self-storage assets, click on my link in the show notes to learn more. Thanks and I'll see you next time.